After Durham residency, he went to at the Naval Hospital San Diego, where I actually got my training. I uh, became a staff dermatologist, staff dermatologist in Jacksonville, and then returned in San Diego in '85. And he be, a year later, he became the chairman of the dermatology department there. Um, he was very instrumental in my training. Uh, I went to him when I first got out of school and asked him if I could be in dermatology, and he told me to read Habif and come back. Um, I thought he was just blowing me off. I did that and came back, and he actually gave me a chance, and uh, I got to go through the um, first year of the residency program, and it was uh, the best thing that ever happened. I still works in Red Cross. He's a staff derm he was a staff dermatologist at uh, the Scripps Clinic, where Christy uh, works, from 2002 to 2005, and he's a consulting staff there. During his Navy career, he also served as a dermatologist in Panama and Guatemala, which he had uh, a lot of these uh, pictures come from. So please welcome Dr. James Kerr. morning. Uh, after that, I've got a lot to live up to, sounds like. Uh, at Scripps Clinic, I'm not Dr. Kerr. I'm Christie's dad whenever I'm introduced, so I guess I'm Christie's dad here. And after seeing that brow picture this morning, I, I used to not think that Botox had any benefit, but maybe it does. <laughs> I may have to see Christie about that. So uh, we're going to run through these pretty quick. I know lunch is coming up fast. Um, so Keep your hands and arms inside the car at all times and hang on because we're going to go through this like Flossie through the Caribbean. First topic is uh, chromoblastomycosis or chromomycosis. Uh, I saw quite a bit of this in Panama. This was about 25 years ago. This is a slide from Habif, uh, shows a, or from uh, Bologna. This shows the initial stages of, of chromo with this verrucous usually on the foot uh, reaction, which then spreads uh, proximally. And it's called chromo because of the different colorations of it. Uh, this slide yeah, is a little burned out in the middle there, but around the edges you can see is darker red, and then they have these sort of really dark, sort of crusted uh, lesions uh, at the edges. Uh, once you see this, you, there's really not anything else that looks exactly like it. So, okay, so once you see one or two of these, you can diagnose it really just clinically. Um, they have little punctate hemorrhages in there, which makes it so dark around the edges. And then the center starts to sclerose as these things spread and get larger. It's caused by implantation from soil or water. It's not an not a, uh, arthropod-borne arthropod disease. It's a dementiaceous fungus. Um, this is that spreading, sclerosing part in the middle there, but that edge still has that dark, hemorrhagic, uh, verrucous crusting to it. Uh, this is a patient in Guatemala. This is one I saw more recently. Uh, this man had been in Panama about 25 or 30 years ago, 
And we saw him in Guatemala. Not quite as exuberant a reaction at the edges as the previous one. But if you look really closely, you can see those same uh, punctate hemorrhage crusting areas uh, and the, down on his arm there. And in this case, he also has some auto-inoculation up on his shoulder, which is one way you can spread this from getting scraped or scratching and then scraped and scratched somewhere else. So he had these uh, secondary lesions uh, here on his waist, is one as it's first starting out, sort of a scaly, little bit of an eruption, and eventually this will do exactly what the others did. Even on his right hand there, you can see a little patch of the starting of one right there, and this is the other one that's a little further along. So to avoid getting this, you have to avoid coming in contact with the contaminated areas, which is almost impossible for the people who you know, live in the countryside. Uh, treatment, let's go back one. Uh, treatment, you can try to cut this out. You can try to destroy it with heat or cryosurgery. I guess you could even use lasers. Uh, Etraconazole does pretty well, and that's what we gave our patient in Guatemala. Uh, we gave him about all we had, because it's gonna take several months uh, of treating that to ever get it to come under control. This is a little bit different. Now this, if you see this, this looks almost like a keloid. Um, it doesn't really have that punctate verrucous edge to it. Here's another one on the arm. Again, you know, it looks almost keloidal, and that's the name is keloidal blastomycosis. This is lobomycosis. Uh, named for Jorge Lobos. This occurs usually in northeastern Brazil. Uh, unfortunately, bottlenose dolphins also can carry this, and there's been one case uh, contracted from a trainer of a bottlenose dolphin uh, from the fin of the dolphin. So you don't see this very often. It's mostly endemic just in northeast Brazil or SeaWorld. <laughs> so be careful if you go to SeaWorld. Don't play with the dolphins. <laughs> especially if they have those kind of things on their flipper. Uh, leishmaniasis, there's several kinds, at least two different kinds, main kinds of uh, leishmaniasis, uh, new world and old world. New world is cutaneous leishmaniasis. Old world is uh, a little bit of both. Uh, this is a little boy who uh, we saw in San Diego at, at Naval Hospital. He had been to visit his grandparents in Saudi Arabia and about two or three months previous to this, and he started developing these kinds of lesions on his extremities. And this is leishmaniasis. This is old world leishmaniasis. Starts off just kind of a reddish little bump. Uh, th then it develops a little bit of an ulcer. Uh, Baghdad boil is uh, one name for this. Um, oriental sore is another name for this. It gets a little larger, a little crustier sometimes. Um, there are two main kinds of old world. There's rural, which is uh, a drier, and then there's urban, which is a wetter lesion. This is the wetter lesion. Now you can see it's not just that crusty, dry thing. It's actually an ulceration. So this is more characteristic of the wet form of old world leishmaniasis.
this is the arm of uh, one of our troops came back from uh, overseas from uh, Iraq. And you see these lesions, uh, they're not that wet, oozy ulceration, but they're these almost, you know, micaceous scales. I mean, on top of this, almost like a big psoriatic plaque. So again, this is the dry form of old world leishmaniasis. Uh, when you get leishmaniasis, it can either stay cutaneous or it can go systemic. systemic. Uh, New World leishmaniasis is usually cutaneous. It can go systemic to give you almost a leprosy-like reaction diffusely, but usually it's cutaneous. This is one form of it. This is mucocutaneous. Um, occurs anywhere in the exposed mucous membranes. It destroys the cartilaginous part of the nose. Uh, and this patient, you know, the, the septum's been destroyed and most of the cartilage uh, it's called, you know, taper nose, or, or uh, espundia is the, another name that's locally given to this. This is kala azar. Kala azar means black fever because they get some hyperpigmentation with this uh, dermatitis that they get. And then when they get involvement of the spleen and liver, uh, I don't know if you can see that or not, there's a little outline here comes all the way down to here and this is not reversed that's not the liver that's the spleen that's coming over here the liver is over there so they get huge splenomegaly they get uh, hepatomegaly they get immunosuppression and they get a lot of secondary infections and that's usually what kills them in the long run takes about uh, one to four months uh, incubating this after you get the initial lesions before the onset of the Kala Azar type of visceral uh, leishmaniasis. This is the bug, cute little guy, um, little teeny tiny one. This is what it looks like uh, when he's feeding. It's a little sand fly. Uh, they're, as you can see, not very big. Um, Old World is carried by phlebotomus, and New World is leucemia, which is a different variety of the, of the sand fly. Um, they bite at night. Um, in order to prevent leishmaniasis, you need to prevent them from biting you. However, you can do that. Swat early, you know, I guess. Or use some kind of you know, insect repellent or net so that you're not exposed to these because they're very small and it, they can come through even small little cracks in the, in the netting if you happen to use netting. Um, different rodents carry these. Uh, this is a diagram of the different stages. It's probably hard to see, um, but essentially um, the fly will bite either a rodent or a human that has these little amastigotes in their bloodstream and then they carry that to the next human or to the next uh, reservoir. And some of the reservoirs are like uh, rodents and in Panama an unusual one was the uh, three-toed uh, tree sloth. This is Old World, New World, Leishmaniasis on the right uh, is New World on the left, Old World. As the slide says, about 12 million people are infected and probably over you know, 350 million people at risk in these areas. And we saw this in Panama and you know, here, oops, go back one, 
So this in, in Panama here and then in Guatemala also. Not as much in Guatemala, mostly in Panama. And then you can see it's in Africa and in India, Saudi Arabia, um, in Asia and Africa. Uh, treatment for it, uh, the pentavalent antimonials are still a mainstay of treatment. Ketogonazole, amphotericin has some benefit. Leishment, or elephantiasis, uh, caused by the way it looks like elephant's feet, I guess you could say. It's uh, produced by a couple of organisms, uh, which are very Bancrofti and Rugia in Malaysia. Uh, this is a patient we saw in Panama. Uh, usually this is bilateral, and this individual happened to be unilateral. Uh, starts off with a little bit of cellulitis in the foot, leg, and then it gradually gets more lymphedema, and it continues with this chronic cellulitis, lymphedema, cellulitis, lymphedema, and uh, involvement of the lower extremity, usually. Uh, it usually comes from multiple bites from any of the three different uh, varieties of mosquitoes. So all three varieties of you know, Anopheles, Culex, and Aedes all carry this or can carry this. Uh, this is a man from the Philippines. Uh, he's got bilateral, again, which is a typical presentation. Pretty severe on his right lower leg, as you can see, but is bilateral. Uh, this patient is from Tahiti. Uh, he's got a little uh, higher involvement in the nodes, uh, and he's got the uh, scrotal hypertrophy, and he's got a real a tremendous amount of lymphedema in the legs. So this is pretty widely dispersed uh, through Polynesia. Uh, this is a, an old picture. This is from Bangladesh uh, many years ago and with severe lymphedema. I mean, it looks almost like a ball and chain this guy's carrying around down here. Um, so it can get extreme. Uh, this, of course, was never treated in those days, and it just continues to progress. This is a particular form of it that usually occurs in, in uh, Fiji. It involves the epitrochlear node. You know, even, even I can palpate this node. <laughs> you know, any dermatologist could palpate this node. Uh, and it is typical for uh, Fiji, for this particular location, this particular group of nodes. This is one of the cute little guys that carry this. This is a feeding mosquito. Um, it is the vector. Um, humans are pretty much the uh, reservoir, unfortunately. Uh, so the mosquito bites you or me and then bites somebody else. If we happen to have the organism, it uh, gets carried to the other person. So mosquito bites, picks up the microfilaria, they stay in the, the digestive tract of the mosquito, they bite somebody else, and they deposit the matured uh, filaria here, which then goes into the nodes, and that's where they develop. So this is one of the microfilaria from the blood. You can see it's very small. Those are white cells next to it. White cell, microfilaria, but from little acorns, giant oaks grow. Uh, and this is the adult worm, probably 20 centimeters, 15, 20 centimeters long, that are in the nodes. So you can see why they have continuous lymphadenopathy and lymphedema with this blocking the nodes 
These, these make more little filaria, which get deposited in the blood from the nodes, carried from the lymph into the bloodstream. Mosquito picks it up again and takes it to the next person. It's kind of hard to see this, uh, but these green dots are areas where it occurs. And it's interesting that it occurs uh, all the way across the Pacific. Uh, uh, this is Africa here. It gets carried to South America. These are, you know, Fiji, Tonga, all across the Pacific. It's amazing that a mosquito can get that far. So I guess they got carried with the person. Uh, but it's distributed widely throughout the world, especially in the, the tropical zone. So it's not just South America or Africa. Africa, it's all the way around the world, essentially. Okay, treatment uh, for this. Um, ivermectin has been a, a godsend uh, for this particular disease, uh, 100 to 400 micrograms per kilogram in one oral dose. Uh, usually eliminates it from the body at that time. It doesn't prevent reinfection, but it will do it at the moment. Um, and then usually most patients have to take this annually for four to six years because a few of the adults' uh, organisms may not be destroyed, and it takes a little bit longer to get rid of them. But ivermectin is a, is a great drug, uh, sometimes in combination with albendazole uh, for a little more effect. Actinomycosis. Uh, actinomycosis is one of the gram-positive uh, bacteria. Uh, it causes a, several different forms of involvement uh, with draining sinuses and sinus tracts. Uh, usually involves the nodes. Uh, the cervical facial area is one region that is infected very commonly uh, because of the origin. It also can uh, affect uh, the thoracic and abdominal areas, intra-abdominal areas. Uh, this is a, a patient who's had some surgery to try to remove some of these, uh, but he still has that, that draining sinus there. Lumpy jaw is the other name for this. Uh, there is a variety that occurs in cattle. It does the same thing in cattle. affects them. It occurs in the Western Hemisphere as well as in Africa, India, and some of the other Asian countries. Uh, this is a patient from Guatemala, as you can see from his belt. Uh, he was 11 years old. He walked into the clinic. He looked perfectly fine. He had no fever. He just had this sore he'd had for two or three months uh, on his right lower uh, posterior thorax. Um, we were out in the middle of nowhere, so we had to send him back to the main hospital there. We had a little hospital at one of the forts in, in Guatemala where we'd set up to do the surgeries. So sending him back there, and when uh, trying to get rid of this by cutting it out, I uh, found a sinus tract that went right on into the, uh, the lung. So the x-ray, you don't get the best x-rays out in the field sometimes, <laughs> but this is, you know, this area, yeah, come back, this area here, this, is, this was going right on out, right on out to the outside. So this requires long-term, uh, usually penicillin therapy. We gave him uh, ampicillin for about a year's worth, as much as we have. We gave him a bottle about this big. We were only going to be there about a week. So I didn't have any other follow-up on him. So it can do thoracic, abdominal. Uh, this is another patient with pretty extensive involvement. And if you did an x-ray of him, you would see his entire upper 
uh, intrathoracic area was involved, bones are involved, lungs involved, and this is actually working its way out. It also can produce a form of mycetoma. There are other things that produce mycetoma of the foot. Madura foot's a different one. Um, again, you have the draining sinuses reaction and all way in involvement all the way down to the bone in these individuals. It's difficult to get rid of. Um, this usually comes from you know, the oral cavity, uh, which leads to the, its presence in the thoracic area, the cervical facial area, and the abdominal area because these organisms get carried to those areas when you swallow or breathe. Um, it's not from any particular organism or another any orthopod-borne agent. Uh, it's from the patient's own contamination, just from uh, where they live and how they live. So this can get, this is from external causes. This one is, is from trauma. Uh, it produces little granules, and the different organisms, depends on which it is, can produce different colored granules, red, green, black, uh, yellow. These are yellow, and that's typical of actinomycosis. And if you can look at them under the scope, you can see these sulfur granules, which are little you know, balls of the actinomyces. So that's one way to try to diagnose it in the field. Uh, here's an individual who's had some surgery to try to get rid of it. But, you know, still we've got a couple of little areas there, and this was pretty much taken out, still got involvement uh, in the area. A difficult thing to get rid of again. Penicillin, 10 to 20 million units a day for about a month and a half. Uh, and then oral penicillin of some type for probably six months to a year to try to eradicate it. Baruli ulcer, first described in the Baruli district of Uganda in Africa, um, has a very characteristic look. Another, another one of those things that if you see this, there's not much else that would do something exactly like this. Uh, this is a patient in Panama, a young girl. Uh, usually they have multiple lesions. They're painless. They don't hurt. They don't itch. They just continuously ulcerate and undermine. Uh, this was on her right shin on her left, inside of her left floor leg, same kind of deal. Uh, that's the muscle exposed. That's the muscle, the fascia's gone, skin, skin subcutaneous tissue's gone. Uh, these are filled with acid-fast uh, organisms. And in Africa, uh, this is a clinical diagnosis. They don't, they don't have to do you know, acid-fast stains or cultures. They diagnose this clinically. This is on the hand. Again, goes right on down skin, sub-Q, uh, eventually even tendon, if it, if it keeps going that far. On the, this is on the hand. It's another one on the leg. You know, it, they all look the same. It looks almost surgical. It looks like it's been debrided. I mean, it, it looks too clean to possibly be any kind of infectious process. Even the edge is, is maybe a little bit of hyperpigmentation looks like it has been excised and debrided. Again, this is carried in, you know, muddy, contaminated vegetation, swampy water. People get traumatized and it gets carried into the skin uh, that way. Um, people out in the field, it's hard to avoid this. If you can, that's one way to try to keep from uh, getting it. Uh, trying to get rid of it again is excision. Sometimes heat will help. Multi-drug uh, anti-TB therapy with rifampin and the other drugs helps. Hyperbaric oxygen 
something that's not readily available in Guatemala out in the middle of nowhere or in Panama at the moment, but that is something that's helpful. These are the areas uh, where it's found endemically. Uh, you can see Africa, Uganda in this area, parts of uh, South America, Brazil, and Central America, and, and I saw that patient in Panama. It's the only one we saw in Panama was that particular patient. Why was she unlucky? Maybe sort of like regular tuberculosis, you may have to have sort of a propensity of weakness for it and chronic exposure to, to be unlucky enough to get it. But she had it. Uh, Chagas disease, a uh, name for Dr. Chagas. So the apostrophe goes after the S, since it's Chagas is his last name. Uh, American trypanosomiasis. Um, this is Romano's sign. You get this local redness, uh, edema, and then a, a node usually near there, and it's called Romano's sign. It lasts for a month or two, and then it usually will go away, and, and you think everything's okay, but it's really not. It's just disappeared from this area, and it's gone inside. Uh, it's produced not by the bite of the reduvid bug, but the contamination of the reduvid bug's bite with the reduvid bug's feces, which makes you even double insult, you know. It's not just a bite, it's his poop that does it. And so they, the bite is not a very painful bite. It causes a little irritation, uh, and people rub it, and that's how they contaminate the skin into the bite area. This is the bug. This is one of several reduvid bugs. This one actually bites bite is not very painful. It's called a kissing bug for its propensity to bite on the face, which is usually exposed when people are sleeping. These are nocturnal uh, insects. Um, a friend of mine did the xenodiagnosis where they put the sterile bugs on your skin and you know let them bite you and they examine them a few weeks later to see if they have the organism in their, in their gut. Uh, he said, I don't know if he's lying or not, he said he really couldn't really feel the bite at all. Uh, it's so mild. This is the cycle for it. A little hard to see again, but it gets carried into the skin by the feces from the bite, or sometimes this will, the organisms live in the thatch roof or cracks of the buildings where people live, and they can just, it can just drop the feces into a mucous membrane, like the eye, nose, mouth, sleep with your mouth closed. That's one way to prevent it, I guess. Um, so it doesn't have to be the bite. It can come just from contamination from the feces from the bug falling on mucous membranes. It gets carried into the smooth muscle, unfortunately, once it, once it goes away from the skin. Uh, and acutely, individuals can die of myocarditis from the in, inflammation in the heart muscle. They get heart block, and can, that's how they succumb. If you don't die immediately, it's not the good news necessarily because then, you know, years later, you know, 10 maybe even 15 years later, uh, it involves a smooth muscle again in the heart, GI tract. This is the heart. You know, this is a chronic case uh, with mural thrombi in the heart and from the inflammation, and they get an aneurysm, which then eventually blows, and that's one way to go. Um, this is omega esophagus from a vomit of the smooth muscle of the esophagus. Not a very good thing to have, but... Better than this, uh, this is megacolon, 
you can see the small bowel and the large bowel all involved uh, with mega colon and mega intestine, whatever, from the chronic disease. Uh, reservoirs include this little guy, armadillo, cute uh, little guy. <laughs> Um, also possums and other kinds of rodents and gerbils and whatnot that may be uh, living in the local area, even domestic animals. Uh, prevention is from you know, exposure to the feces of the bug, either from the bug biting and defecating or from the bug where they live. Uh, insect control and avoidance. Uh, oral nifurtamox is somewhat helpful. Uh, this is the bugs where they live in the cracks of the walls and the ceilings, uh, and they come out at night to do their their job. This is an insecticide that's been used in a preventive program uh, in South America. Uh, it's hard to see these different areas, but all the shaded areas are areas that are uh, endemic for it. All of South America, essentially, Central America, Mexico, um, Maybe even a little bit of a really, really southwestern uh, South Texas. Alrighty, next is the fire coral stings. Uh, it's produced by contact from bare skin and, uh, and fire coral, which is not really a true coral. It's a, a hydroid uh, instead of a true coral causes these uh, papules, uh, immediately it causes some stinging for maybe 20 or 30 minutes and everything seems okay and then within a few hours it starts to itch, turn red. This is the other arm. Um, you can see it looks like a, an outside job, not an inside job because it's very localized. Some of these the lesions are very linear. Down this, this area, somewhat linear from going through an area closely, you know, that we're too closely and touching this as they went through, uh, these get very juicy. They're, they sometimes can cause uh, a blister, but usually it's almost like switch disease where you get a very mm, juicy papule, a pseudo-vesicle on the arm or leg or wherever it happens to touch. These are pretty uh, translucent sometimes. This is the organism. Uh, it's a little hard to see, but up here you can see these little teeny tiny hairs sticking out. Uh, and these contain nematocysts, just like the Portuguese man of war. Uh, and it's a similar type of nematocyst to that. So it's not like a coral uh, wound that you get with an infection and the fragments of the coral in the wound. This is a reaction to these nematocysts. This is from a jellyfish. These are much more narrow. It's not as broad because the, uh, the jellyfish tentacles are very narrow as opposed to fire coral, which are pretty, pretty good size. So the, the actual track from fire, fire coral is usually a wider band of uh, linear uh, papulovesicles. This is, of course, the jellyfish. Um, only the fire corals, which are the hydroids, carry this. Normal coral does not. Um, one way to prevent it is to wear a wetsuit, I suppose, so you wouldn't get it. Um, but even even minute or minor contact with this coral, this fire, this hydroid, can produce the reaction. 
um, to try to negate the effects, if you had the opportunity, you would want to put hot seawater, not fresh water, because just like jellyfish or Portuguese man of war, if you put fresh water on it, the hydrotic, or the, the difference in the hydrostatic pressure causes a release of all those that hadn't already been released and caused worse problems. So hot seawater, trying to denature the protein in these little proteinaceous nematocysts. They have a little protein spring, a little protein harpoon, and the venom is attached to that little harpoon. So any change in uh, hydrostatic pressure or even direct pressure causes them to fire. That's why brushing against it will fire them or uh, using something that, that causes a change in hydrostatic pressure will cause them to fire. So vinegar, you know, things that denature protein will help. Um, alcohol, isopropyl alcohol, meat tenderizer, vinegar. Um, but you have to do it pretty quickly because it, they'll all be fired rather quickly. Afterwards, topical steroids, antihistamines, systemic steroids, uh, those kind of things will help, but it just has to run its course. And this may take several months, not just a few days or weeks. And even a year later, they may get recrudescences if they get really hot running or whatever. They may have an increase in that area, redness, a little bit of itching come back. Some people have post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation where these occurred. So it's just something to be aware of in case you go scuba diving in you know, tropical waters uh, where they have the fire coral. Onchocerciasis causes about four different reactions early on. It causes pruritus uh, like this. This is called uh, onchocerciasis scabies because it's itchy, it's scaly. Uh, it looks a little like scabies, so you get this pruritic neurotitis. Then you get subgunodules. Eventually you get sclerosing lymphangitis. Uh, and uh, unfortunately also these little microfilaria involve the cornea and you get a um, keratitis with it. So this is the initial panodermatitis. This is the onchocercoma. Usually occur over bony prominences. Um, this is a cute little guy, a little uh, black fly that carries this. There's several different ones that carry this. Um, it is from the bite of the fly because they are the vector. This is the schematic of how it occurs, the bite, microfilaria, involving uh, the skin, uh, lymph nodes, and the eye. Then it gets picked back up by the, the uh, vector carried to another person. This is a tangle of the Onchocerca volvulus. You can see why they might name it volvulus because it's just a big convoluted mass of these, this organism um, in the skin and in these Onchocercomas. Uh, this is more of a chronic Dermatitis. As they get the chronic dermatitis, they get a hypopigmentation. Usually occurs on the lower legs. And this is the hanging groin from the lymphadenitis that you can get from the uh, organism in the lymphatic system. This is not elephantiasis. It is a you know enlargement in lymphedema, but this is from onchocerciasis. Unfortunately, the keratitis in the eye causes a clouding of the cornea, so you get a an eye like this one in this man's right eye. Um, and the only way to really correct this is with a corneal transplant, but unfortunately it also can involve a retina, so you may not do much good by just doing a corneal transplant. This is called river blindness, a common name for this, where onchocerciasis occurs. This is a very old picture from 1939 in French West Africa. 
uh, from Dr. Muraz. Uh, and you see these people in a big line, and they're carrying sticks, but that's not firewood. This is how they lead the people around who are blind. Um, and to commemorate this and the effort to get rid of this, this is at the World Health Organization, Geneva, Switzerland. There's a statue uh, memorializing the effort to try to get rid of onchocerciasis. Again, this is the buffalo gnat, a little bit different one. has this little hump on his back. Uh, not a very big organism at all, but he packs a wallop uh, when they bite. These are the areas of involvement. Uh, you see a lot of involvement in Africa. That was where that other picture from 1939 was, uh, back in, in French West Africa. It's in most of South America, Mexico, and there is some in Central America. We saw a, a couple of cases when I was there. Uh, again, ivermectin is a very good uh, drug for this. Um, there, is an, there is an error in your handout. It's not 150 milligrams. It's 150 micrograms per kilogram, about every 6 to 12 months. And then... It doesn't kill the adult worms necessarily. It kills the filaria. So it's important to try to excise the onchocercomas and then continue to treat with the ivermectin. And that's what the eradication program involves is uh, repeat doses of this about every 6 to 12 months. Uh, right now, the estimate is that, that patients who who have onchocerciasis may need to take the ivermectin for up to 20 or 25 years to finally get rid of the load. Okay, end of the home stretch. So we're going to have some uh, challenge cases here. Uh, these are not in your handout, so you can't cheat on me. Uh, so we're just going to run through them and just to take a look at them. Uh, patient, been scuba diving, comes in with this pruritic papular eruption uh, in this area. Um, any ideas? I don't know, maybe. This, this is sea bather's eruption. This is in a covered area. As you can see, this is uh, where the bathing suit, hopefully, will cover. California, you never know. Uh, so it's caused by the nematocysts from a, a thimble jellyfish. They're, they're almost microscopic, but sometimes they're in the water, so they get under the, the bathing suit, between the bathing suit and the skin, and of course the pressure makes them fire. So it's interesting that this occurs in the covered areas uh, as opposed to swimmer's itch, which is a freshwater disease, which usually covers in the non, occurs in the non-covered areas from a different sicaria, from sicaria, not from a thimble jellyfish a nematocyst. It's kind of hard to see this one. Uh, I think we've got the projector too bright, Greg. <laughs> but you can see these are chronic uh, sinuses uh, in this area, some scarring and whatnot, contraction. Um, anything we've seen today reminds you of this? Uh, do we see any of that hemorrhagic crust on here? No, this is not chromomycosis. This is actinomycosis. And it happens to be in the thigh uh, from trauma, most likely. Instead of uh, mycetoma in the foot, this person got it in the thigh from a traumatic injury and contamination uh, with the organism. 
his lower legs. He looks almost like vitiligo. Um, maybe a little bit of lichenification. So we saw something sort of like this earlier. This is, this is very old, chronic, burned out, onchocerciasis. It's called leopard skin because of the different colorations. So this is chronic onchocerciasis. So this patient has had it for a long time, uh, not just a, an acute episode. Okay, these are the feet of an individual, kind of uh, enlarged and kind of warty looking and stigmatous. Uh, another name for this is mossy foot. Um, it's not tropical elephantiasis. Uh, it's caused by chronic recurrent uh, lymphangitis from strep and staph. This is actually a patient we saw in San Diego uh, with this, and this is elephantiasis nostris varicosa, again caused by chronic recurrent staph strep infections. And once they start this, start having the, the little bit of lymphatic blockage, it disintensifies and keeps going. Now we did, we were able to get rid of most of this Veruca stuff with just you know strong uh, caramel and, and got most of it down. But there's not a real cure for this kind of thing once it occurs because the uh, tissue and the scarring is permanent for the most part. Uh, patient in Panama, he's got this destructive lesion on the top of the foot. Uh, as you can see, uh, I may lose all that skin. This is where it started and it kind of spread irregularly around different areas there. I don't know if anybody lives in that part of the country, in the United States, that we also see this. I uh, saw some of this when I was in Houston in internship uh, and in Panama. This is a, a campesino from Panama, um, and this is a brown recluse bite. You know, people always coming in to see us, oh, I think I've got a brown recluse bite, and they've got a little you know, red spot with a little dot in the middle. Uh, if you get a brown recluse bite, you're going to know it pretty quick because your skin and subcutaneous tissue are going to start dissolving. Um, I saw patients in uh, Houston when I was there with a bite on the neck uh, and the lesion went all the way down to the transverse processes of the, the vertebra. So it's not just a little bite, you know, a little ulcer or something like that. This stuff is difficult to stop uh, once it starts. Um, you can try interlesional steroids, you can try debreeding, but it, it diffuses so rapidly it's really hard to get ahead of it. Now, this interesting, this individual, uh, you know, th these people did not wear socks. They just have rubber boots they wear out in the field. This had happened to him on the other foot about four or five years ago. And he had a big, unfortunately, he only had a big scar on his other foot. Um, the brown recluse, this is not actual size, by the way. <laughs> the brown recluse is only about this big. They don't look like much. They're kind of a reddish looking. They got this little violin back on their, on their back. There's about five different varieties of which three of them recur in the southwest the United States. This little Here's the base of the violin, there's the frets. Doesn't look like much. It's not endemic in the West, but we did see it in the Mississippi Valley and in the Midwest. It's not endemic in California. However, uh, when they were building the uh, approach on a freeway to the Los Angeles airport about 15 years ago, they were tearing down some old houses and they they ran into this one house, particularly when they started demolishing, it was full of these little tiny red spiders. They didn't think much about it, but they would say, well, we were to call somebody and have them take a look. 
and so it was filled with brown recluse. So apparently a gravid recluse had gotten carried here into this particular house and had reproduced and reproduced, and it was the, it's the only place in all of L.A. County where they found this uh, organism, this spider. So again, doesn't look like much, but they pack a pretty powerful wallop. So that's the spada. Another patient from South America got these kind of draining sciences, but also got these kind of verrucous things here in the cervical facial area. Actinomycosis? Mm, maybe. Still have to, to take a look at this. This is actually scrofuloderma from tuberculosis. So it involves the nodes and it, it comes on down to the outside, but it leaves those verrucous plaques where, the, where it comes to the surface. It's not just draining sinuses. They have those kind of verrucous plaques in the areas. So scrofuloderma. Okay, we're back in South America once more. Got this uh, kind of mucocutaneous reaction going on here at the opening of the nares, a little bit of involvement inside. Is this uh, leishmaniasis? Could be. Uh, it's not in this particular case. Uh, this is uh, South American blastomycosis, which is caused by a different organism, uh, paracoccidioides, and not leishmaniasis. Uh, and it comes not from a vector, but from inhalation of the spores of the organism. Uh, so it will cause mucous membrane lesions, also pulmonary lesions. Um, can get in the skin and lymphatics, like this involves the skin, and can eventually get in the lymphatics. Usually seen in uh, this particular one, South American blastomycosis, and Central and South America, not in Africa or Asia. So South American blasto. Okay, we've got another lower leg. Looks like some we've seen before. Um, is this elvitiasis? Well, it's not real big. It's mostly scarred, uh, kind of a few discolored areas here on it, but uh, mostly just a lot of scarring and some lymphedema. And you can see some sinuses. You know, could be actinomycosis. Um, but in this case, it's not, of course. Uh, it's it's chromoblastomycosis. It's chromo again. Uh, it's a chronic, burned, almost burned-out case of chromomycosis. So sometimes it's, it's hard to tell clinically. It has a typical presentation. You can go with it, but occasionally they also have a sort of untypical appearance. Uh, we got another leg here. Uh, it's got this uh, eroding, kind of looks almost denuded areas. It's an edge doesn't look like much. Um, Maybe a little sclerotic in the middle. Could be a, you know, a tropical disease, but you have to remember, other diseases also occur in the tropics. And as it turned out, this was not a tropical disease. This is pyoderma gangrenosum. So you can have tropical disease in the tropics, but you can have non-tropical diseases in the tropics. Uh, this patient, a young girl we saw in Panama, Got these things around the nose here, you know, kind of papules, little nodules. Um, you think, well, is this some form of leishmaniasis? But it's not. And those who were at the lecture the other day uh, will get this one right <laughs> because this is adenomycetium from adenomycetium from uh, tuberous sclerosis. So she also had Ashley 
macules, kernicks, tumors, and all those things. So you have to look around. Uh, sometimes you have to, you know, there was one of our old residents used to say, well, don't look more than five centimeters from the lesion that's presenting, but that's not always a good idea. <laughs> Uh, you have to look around sometimes, and it's, it's been said that more is missed by not looking than by not knowing. So if you look around, you may get some hints about what the real process is. Okay, another patient, South America, terrible-looking reaction. It's got to be some kind of fungus. You know, I mean, this is like, yuck, his involvement here, all the way up in the forehead, starting to involve his uh, eyes, eyelids, face. Um, anybody have an idea? Well, I had the misfortune of seeing this in a patient at Scripps uh, a few years ago, um, only one I've ever seen initially uh, with initial reaction. And unfortunately, this is angiosarcoma. It's very uncommon. Starts off as just, it looks like normal skin that's purple. There's not any duration, there's not any symptoms. It looks almost artifactual very sharply marginated edges, usually on the nose or somewhere else on the face. Um, but with time, this is what it looks like. And by this time, it's, it's already metastatic. It's into the, you know, uh, into, into the cranium. Uh, the patient at Scripps just had involvement of the middle of the nose up to about you know, the bridge of the nose, uh, and he lost his entire nose just from uh, the early stages of angiosarcoma. So again, tropical things occur in the tropics, but other things also occur there. So you have to just be alert and be aware. And one final shot, just to remind you that you know when you, when you get all involved and everything gets heavy and, and weighted down, you just have to remember, you know, uh, keep control of the biting end of it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if it weighs a lot or gets you all convoluted. Uh, just control what can really bite you. So hopefully uh, some of this stuff will help you. Uh, try to keep them getting bitten if you uh, get out where they have this kind of stuff. <laughs>